Hey, it's Steph Dixon, and welcome to the Live Wide Awake podcast. Thank you for being one of our listeners in 88 countries around the world. Today, we're speaking with Molly Dean Dudu, the founder of Emotional Inclusion, a speaker and facilitator, and the general manager for French fashion and accessories brand Longchamp for Singapore and Malaysia. After two decades in the fashion industry, she realized the urgent need to have a safe platform in the corporate world for emotions to be heard, recognized, and dealt with. She's also currently writing a book for Penguin Publishing that outlines her vision for humanizing work cultures called Emotional Inclusion. In this conversation, we talk about the power of showcasing vulnerability, why humanness is not centerfold on the corporate agenda and how we can bring it back, and why we need to keep fear walking. I hope you enjoy this smooth conversation thanks to our sound partner, Audio-Technica. Okay, it's time to live wide awake. Well, Molly, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really excited to be in person here with you today, having this very important conversation. And I'd love for you to share a little bit about your journey. So where have you been and how did you end up where you are now? Well, thank you, Steph, for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here and be with you in person, which is uh, always nice to do now that we can. So my journey, it depends how far back you want to go at this stage, but I, I grew up between Africa and Paris my whole life and uh, went to finish boarding school and went to college in the U.S. And I started my career out of New York and 16 years ago moved to Hong Kong where I started working for a French leather goods company called Longchamp. And I've been with them ever since. And I, so I worked for them for nine years out of Hong Kong, overseeing the Asia Pacific region, and then moved to Singapore to open the Singapore and Malaysia affiliate. And we've been here ever since. And uh, so Asia is very much home away from home. And Simultaneously, three years ago, alongside the full-time job, the two kids, the dog, mind you, I opened an NGO called Emotional Inclusion in the workplace and uh, in the workforce. And we really vest a lot of time and energy in bringing mental health in a tailored way to each organization as every organization has its own DNA. And for us, it's very important that we help again, every company to really format what mental health means to them and also look at at emotional inclusion through a, a lens that is one that makes tangible sense. Because when I delved into bigger companies that have the luxury to have diversity, equity, and inclusion platforms. They speak of all kinds of inclusion, but they don't speak about emotional inclusion. And, you know, I like to say that, uh, you know, again, we're, we're all human beings. We're wired to feel. We emote before we even reason. And the fact that we are not, you know, addressing our humanness at the very core in our inclusion platforms is um, nothing more but an eyebrow razor for me. So it's been very purposeful, mission-driven work. And uh, so here we have it. That was a bit of a long-winded answer, but... 
No, thank you for sharing. And before we dive into the details, because I, I really want to go into a lot of what you just shared, let's zoom out first. And maybe you can paint a picture for us of just how big the mental health crisis is right now and how this was amplified during the pandemic. Sure. Well, the pandemic really, I, I think if anything, the silver lining of the pandemic was that it shone a great deal of awareness on the fact that mental health, even before the pandemic, was, you know, a huge issue. And if you look at the latest statistics from the World Health Organization, they've just put out that nearly one billion people suffer from some mental illness. And so, you know, we're 8 billion people here on earth. One in eight is suffering from some sort of condition. So that means that either yourself or anyone you know is at least affected uh, by by that. And again, you know, uh, how do you define mental illness today as someone who suffers from depression or anxiety uh, is suffering from a mental illness condition, right? And so the pandemic exacerbated that to such a degree that we had no choice not to look at it anymore. And the pull was greater than us, if you will. And, and that's a good thing because in the 21st century world we live in today, it's about time. Specifically, I would say in the workplace, because again, having any sort of mental illness or, you know, any issue, if you will, emotional issue was considered and it still is to some degree as a sign of weakness or as a sign of lack of professionalism and, 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 and fill in the blank, you know, which couldn't be furthest from the truth. So it, it called for organizations at large and on a macro scale to, from governments at large to really you know, take a serious look at what that meant and how we, you know, how the landscape could change as a consequence. So everybody's today, you see dabbling in their own sort of kitchen as to internal kitchen as to what to do with it. And that's why you know, we really tackled it in a laser focused way with emotional inclusion. But the state of mental health today is is still dire. I mean, 58%, this was a study led by BAPA of 58% of senior leaders still find it difficult to talk about their mental health, right? And so when you look at leadership, you know, that's where it all starts from, you know, that's what that's if our leaders are not able to themselves talk about the issue that is so prevalent today and that is not disappearing, then it won't trickle down on a cultural level within within the organizations at large. So that's that's still something that, you know, we on a societal level, once again, need to really address and to take away the shame, you know, and the stigma that is associated to mental health, because this is a school of life. We all at one point or another are knocked down. We all have to roll through the punches as one of my good friends says, and I, I love it because we all, we all do, you know, and it is so profoundly just fake, if you will, for lack of a better word or 
to just to not be able to show up as our full selves. You know, there's such fear behind that, uh, especially at work where, you know, profitability and, and endurance and engagement and productivity at large are, are really, you know, at the forefront of the expectancies we have of our employees. But guess what? If you've just lost someone you love, that it be a parent, a grandparent, or a child, or if you're going through a divorce, or you know, if you're if you've been given a very serious medical condition. I mean, I've seen friends, colleagues, you know, go through cancer and having to really sort of lay low at the office and just kind of quasi look normal. Well, hey, guess what? You're not normal right now. And that's, you know, whatever it is that you're going through, you just need to give it some time and a whole lot of candor and patience and uh, understanding behind that to to know that you're going to you know, you're going to come out of it, but you need to have the resources. And that's today, you know, these, these resources that are lacking because once again, no one really has a clear guideline of how to approach the set solution, but there's a lot more to do, which makes it all that much more interesting. But, uh, the mental health industry uh, is set to be a multi-billion dollar industry very, very soon. And, and for a good reason, that's because we, we're still in such dire need for these resources. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, even though, you know, you've shared some really scary and fascinating facts there with a billion people suffering from mental health in some way or another. And you said 58% of leaders are unable to feel comfortable to talk about these things, but it's so prevalent. And I think, you know, the work you're doing is so important because there is still such a stigma around this. I was literally having a conversation this week with a girlfriend and she was saying that Uh, She's, you know, helping a lot of mothers with their postpartum depression, for example. And she was saying that a lot of them don't even want to say what they're going through because they don't want to black mark against their name. They don't want to be in the system, whether that's at work or in the public system, even, or, you know, in, in Singapore here. And that's crazy, you know, because it's so common, a lot of these things, and it's still got such a deep stigma around it. So I think this kind of work is so critical and really just, it just feels also like we're still so far away. So I don't know. Do you also feel that way? Like how, how else can we really break more of the stigma and foster? A hundred percent. I, you're speaking my language. And I think that, I think we all play a part in making our world more emotionally inclusive and making a movement out of it. I think have come to a point where, especially in the backdrop of COVID, there's a certain degree of, a, of awakening. You know, I think people have arrived to a certain degree of consciousness where they realize that, hey, if we continue like this, we're just going to, you know, just drive ourselves in the wall. You know, there's, uh, and so I think if we all play our part in practicing vulnerability, you know, as a leader myself, I try and practice what I preach, right? Uh, Because I know that if I don't, then, you know, why on earth would my employees or my friends for that matter, you know, and I, it's always scary to, to, to be vulnerable. I love what Brene Brown says is to that effect is that not everyone deserves to hear your story. And that's true. But I think when you want to live a life that is one of, again, 
purpose and one that is to some measure a source of inspiration as well to your, you know, your surroundings, your entourage, your, you know, uh, whomever is closest and, or, or know that at least you're living a, an authentic life, then your responsibility as, you know, an ethical human being is to be real. And it's hard. It's not easy. We were just uh, chatting about Susan David earlier, and I and I, I love this line that she quotes with that about courage is fear walking. And I think uh, we we all need to do a little bit more of that, a little bit more fear walking, right? And in stepping up and 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 boldly and bravely being who we are, and being cognizant of the fact that we are all human beings, and to and to shut away a little bit this fear, if you will, of judgment, you know, because we're all so afraid of being judged and to some level. And so I think that being able to, yeah, to be more, more vulnerable, be more empathetic, to be able to really listen. A big one for me is the power behind not assuming, you know, and, assumption is something we all do. I, I guess we're wired for that and predisposed to do that, but come across time and time again, examples that have showcased the fact that when I think that there is a problem or something that is going on in someone else's life, you know, it's actually something completely different. And so I think if we can Stop the judgment, the, the, you know, the, the assumptions that we make and instead ask questions, we'd be surprised by the answers. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I think assumptions are so dangerous and we do have to learn how to break that natural because I think you're right. We do naturally fall into just creating stories, building stories in our head. And I think that goes on so many different levels as well, because you can jump to conclusions and then actually none of that is real or happens, but you can create a lot of anxiety for yourself by assumptions and storytelling that you build. Um, So I think those are really important things to be aware of. So what is the real difference between emotional intelligence and emotional inclusion? I love that question. I love that question because, well, if you define emotional intelligence in a nutshell, it's really all about the knowing of how we navigate our emotions and the emotions of the people we interact with, right? That's emotional intelligence, capital E, capital I, whereas emotional inclusion is really all about the doing. So it's not about the knowing, it's about the doing. So when I say emotional inclusion, it's capital E, lowercase i, and it's really practicing what we preach, right? So it's putting in practice, it's putting in action, emotional intelligence in a medicalized, in a confidential and in in a sustainable way. And all of these three pillars are key to emotional inclusion. They don't work without each other. And, you know, again, uh, as I was saying earlier, I was utterly floored when I deep dived into the matter 
when I again founded, uh, you know, the emotional inclusion NGO and I, I looked at all these DE and I platforms and I couldn't get my mind around the fact that, you know, they have no barometer when it comes to the human scale of inclusion, right? I mean, it, you know, when we're really like digging deep in, into our layers and what, what it means to be human at work and, Human at work doesn't mean shoving your emotions at the doorstep before, you know, coming into the office. It doesn't mean not voicing out what you're going through to someone you trust within the company because you're afraid of the stigma, you know? And so we can talk all kinds of inclusion, but if we don't tackle the one that is closest to our own humanity, then what are we doing? Where are we going? Mm. And so what does it look like in practice? Maybe you can share what some companies could do or some companies that have really embodied emotional inclusion at the workplace. Yeah. So we, we, uh, so we have a workshop, we have a program, but I think, so the workshop basically gives a cue to the team that is being trained and understanding already, you know, between what are emotions and, you know, a lot of people don't really know what the skill of, you know, emotions are and how to navigate them in the workplace. And I think just right then and there, you know, that is key in terms of our interpersonal skills and how we choose to make our work life basically much more smooth and efficient for ourselves and for the people we work with. And that gives a, a, and then, you know, we assess the emotional barometer, if you will, of that group, which gives us an indication on a micro scale of how the company is doing. Um, and then we have the work, the program where we assign two therapists to the said organization and they work with the company in a, a tailored way to bring our emotional inclusion program to their, really to their, to the centerfold of, you know, the company's business agenda to really instill a pillar of mental health that is of instill an emotionally inclusive pillar that is, again, tailored to the said company. But when I get this question and I answer it on a larger scale, how can we be more emotionally inclusive? I think we've tackled a few earlier, you know, listening, not assuming, practicing empathy, you know, walking our talk when it comes to practicing vulnerability. It's, you know, making sure that we are to some measure allowing for there to be, again, a confidential, sustainable pillar and medical pillar within our organizations that allows for our employees to fall back on when needed. Because not everyone feels comfortable to go to HR that might tackle or not your issue. And if they don't, well, your story's out of the box and, you know, oh, well, well, no, not oh, well, you're dealing with the, you know, someone's emotions, you're dealing with someone's life, you know? And so 
you know, it's really important to invest, to find budget somewhere. If I think if COVID has taught us anything is that we don't need to travel nearly as much as we used to. And so, you know, for example, allocating budget that used to go towards one's traveling expenses or budget to, for example, shift it to, you know, the budget of, you know, the mental health budget. But I really, really believe that it's not something that you can just kind of cherry pick. It's not because you're doing a global sort of or, or country level barometer of a wellness barometer that, that it be again, that it be confidential or not, you know, because we have to read the fine print sometimes as to how confidential these barometers really are. But that's just a drop in the bucket as to your involvement as a company, uh, or as a leader, it, you know, really is when it comes to mental health, that's just giving really a very minute idea on how the company well company is doing on a wellness level. So I think really tackling the matter seriously is important. And, you know, to, I, I really encourage companies to do it because they know that, caring for their employees equates to caring for their businesses and their bottom lines and that they stop doing it on, you know, very volatile scales because it looks good on a CSR level because I see that still a lot. And it frustrates me so much, you know, because I, I always have, you know, the lives of these people, in my mind, you know, I just, and again, you know, we had to chatter in and around that, that earlier that, you know, we, we are all human beings. We can all relate to each other's suffering and we need to stop this false sort of discourse that everything is just perfect once we, and fine. And that we're just, you know, everything is, yeah, just fine when we arrive at work because it, it isn't always. You know, it just, it just isn't. Mm. Yeah, I think there's lots of things there for people to take away and just to realize that as leaders and as managers, we can really show through how we show up. We can show with the safe space that we can create for those that we work with. And that can come from any one of us. And it really needs to be an inside out job in all aspects. And so, yeah, I hope that, you know, more people can join the emotional inclusion train and to prioritize this because it is something that is so important. And I think it's only going to be more and more prevalent as we move forward. hundred percent. And I'd like to actually add to, to what you're saying, because I think, you know, taking action is so important. And, but again, it's what kind of action and the companies that are still doing yoga classes or mindfulness classes. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, shaming them in any, in any way. I think again, any, any advancement towards the mental health uh, of our employees is good, you know, but I think we need to look at it very seriously. Again, for example, 24 seven hotlines, right. Are shown actually not to work because even though there are confidentiality measures, right. That are disclosed before the call generally, the person calling is never quite sure what's going to happen with the story they give and really to whom they're speaking to, quite frankly. So, you know, and then their apps, apps are great to have, but I call them crutches. They're great to have, but they're not enough. 
You know, you really need that internal, inclusive and sustainable and confidential sort of, again, that triage we were talking about for it to really work. And I'm very aware that many roads lead to Rome, but the more examples I come across, the more, you know, the more exchange with business leaders and organizations alike, the more I realize I, you know, this is really a pretty proud, powerful triage, um, you know, at the end of the day. So, yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, and it, th three is a very powerful number as well. That's right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and what about your own sort of journey with mental health and well, well-being? What have been some of the biggest challenges you've overcome and what tools did you personally call on to help get you through those difficult times? Well, I remember having to go through the loss of a child. And uh, I, I remember that time in my life being a very difficult one and, and really grieving that child. And even though I wasn't, you know, very advanced, you know, in my pregnancy, it felt like obviously a loss. I, there was a tremendous amount of guilt and shame and, I um, recall having to go to work, you know, a few days later. And thankfully, I, I am someone who can put my armor on so as to speak my suit on when I arrive at work. And then I go home and I'm on my knees. But, you know, at work, I seemingly can have always been able to keep that front, uh, which is not necessarily a good thing, mind you. But I remember thinking how backwards the system was you know, and how the fact that I didn't know who to turn to, you know, who to talk to and was talking about it, even a good idea. It wasn't at the time, clearly. And what were they going to do anyways? And I was already battling with all these emotions of guilt, shame and, and sadness. And, you know, and so that was, I'd say one of my first introduction is a, to really saying the relevancy of emotional inclusion. I hadn't coined it yet, but I knew that the, the, the workplace was devoid of, you know, a hefty dose of humanity, you know, and as I moved along with life, of course, I, you know, had my, you know, other sort of hardballs come at me. Um, I have one that I'm speaking about in my book, which is uh, going to be published by Penguin in August. And uh, that will come out then, which is, been, I think so far, the biggest hurdle I've ever had to deal with and how that has also profoundly shaped me and my belief that we need to, again, exercise a hefty dose of, of humanity and, and, and to, to really put our fears aside because we're, we're all one. We're all the same, you know, you peel the layers. Each and every one of us is unique, but we, we're all the same. You know, we all want love. We all want to be loved. We all want to uh, hopefully do something with our lives that is purposeful. And, or we all want to be recognized if, if anything for what we do. So I, you know, I can, I can speak to, to, to that. And, and of course, you know, in my journey of listening to, Oh, I, I just hundreds and hundreds of stories 
of just friends, colleagues, you know, people whom sometimes I just even met, you know, who tell me their stories and, and it just always kind of, it really touches me. You know, it really does. It just, it humbles me so much, you know, because it takes also a lot of fear out of my relationships at large. And I'm, I'm an introvert with extrovert qualities because of my job, right? As a managing director, I have to be out there and I have to be I just you know, have to be some degree, a little bit of an extrovert and I'm, I'm just so not, you know, but I've always had to push myself to hone in on these extrovert skills, but this work, you know, and really deep diving into EI, capital E, lowercase I, it has, has been immensely helpful in allowing me to see, Hey, you know, I'm, you know, I'm speaking to, to, with whomever I'm speaking to that I'm dealing with, you know, again, people who themselves have or are, <laughs> when you don't know, sometimes battling through their own demons or their own issues. And, and it calms things. It puts things else, it puts, it puts everything in perspective. It brings forth so much lightness in a way and appreciation for, for anyone we, you know, come in contact with. Yeah, absolutely. And how do you think that we can live wide awake? By never taking anything for granted. Yes. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Molly, for sharing. And, uh, I learned a lot and I also think it's so critical and important the work you're doing. So I just want to appreciate you for that. And thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Seth, for having me on. It's been a real pleasure. I, I would do this any time of the day. It's been, it's always nice to have a purposeful and, uh, you know, again, it hopefully impactful discussion with you. And it's, it's always a pleasure to see you. Thank you. Three things I'm taking away from this conversation with Molly. Firstly, we emote before we reason. We're not robots, so let's bring in more empathy and vulnerability into the workplace. Secondly, I loved the quote, courage is not the absence of fear, courage is fear walking by Susan David. An excellent reframe and image as well. And thirdly, at the end of the day, we're all just small beings rotating on a rock in outer space. So let's drop the pretense, have more humility and foster empathy for others. curious what did you think about the episode and what were your main takeaways is there a topic you want me to dive deeper into i'd love to hear from you you can find me at stephel dixon or at live wide awake if you got something out of the podcast and you want to continue this journey with us consider subscribing and supporting i hope that today's conversation stirred something deep within you ready to awaken and until next time live wide awake